All right, what's up, guys? Like Rick just said, my name is Clayton. I'm a student at UNO, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm extremely excited to be here tonight, and I'm extremely excited to be able to dive into the word that Paul has for us in Galatians. So the word that we're going to be going into, it's in chapter 3, verse 26, to chapter 4, verse 7. So we're just going to hop right in. If you guys want to stand, I'll read God's word for us, and then we can get into this thing. Starting in verse 26, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a, and if a son, then an heir through God. You guys may be seated. That is what we're going to be going through tonight. So essentially, tonight's going to be all about adoption. My mom, I'm going to talk about her for a moment. Shout out, mom, if you're listening one day. I love you. But so my mom, she works for the state of Nebraska in the division of children and family services. And through that, she basically, most of her time she spends is with kids that are in really rough family situations or with foster kids who don't necessarily have a family that they can call their own. So day in and day out, it's, it's a struggle. It's a grind. She has to pour in countless hours into these kids' lives. And while she loves them and she wants what's best for them, she wants to protect them. She wants them to, to be loved. She can't always see her fruit. Or she, she can't always see the work that she is doing pay off. These are hard situations that the kids are in primarily, and there's not always a clear-cut answer of how to get them out of these situations. It's, it's really difficult. It's almost never black and white. It's, it's always something in between where it, it's tough, but through, through all of these ups and downs, there is one day each year where she is able to celebrate in the lives of these kids. There's one day where dark, unsure pasts are turned into bright, hopeful, secure futures. And, and that day is Nebraska's National Adoption Day. And, and through this, through me just being able to interact with my mom, through knowing some of the families, through knowing some people that have been adopted, I have been able to see how beautiful of a process adoption is. You see, adoption very often comes when a child is stuck in a dark situation. Almost always, it's a situation that the kid can't get themselves out of on their own. So on this day, hundreds of kids are adopted into new families, and the new families, they want nothing more than to just love the kids and to have a relationship with them. It, it doesn't matter to the families where the kid is coming from or, or what the kid has been through. 
all that matters to these families is that they get to have a relationship with the kid and, and to love them. So what, what the state of Nebraska calls these families, they want them to be quote-unquote forever families, which basically means that it's a family that they can go into where they'll be able to rely on these people to love them for the rest of their lives. So, so this is a day where, where my mom can celebrate, where the kids and the families can celebrate. But on, on, on the real, I think when I've been thinking about this a bit and when, when I've talked to some of the people, for the kids, this can be sort of a crazy day. You know, they, they go from, you wake up one morning and you think you know everything about your life and all of a sudden, in some, in some instances, your name's changed. Everything you knew is, is completely turned upside down. The situations that these kids were in, the, the way that they thought they should be loved or, or what they were worth, it's all completely changed in the matter of an instant. It, it's all different. See, these kids, they now have a new identity. They have an identity that is defined by the family that they're being adopted into. It is not defined by where they were coming from. Their past situations no longer hold any weight or define who they are. The adopting families, they know the situations that these kids are coming out of are rough. They, they know that they've gone through some hard things and they know that it's been messy. But with great joy, they pursue and they love these kids anyway. So tonight in our reading, I, I think City Light U, that Paul is going to make the case to us that if you placed your faith in Christ, much like these kids that my mom works with, that you've been adopted into a new family. Paul tells us in verse 26 that, that in Christ, we are sons of God through faith. We, we are children of God through faith. And the language here that he is using, the language, it's very telling to where this sonship comes from or, or, or where this status of, of a kid comes from. It doesn't come from anywhere but in Christ. That's what Paul writes. It, it doesn't come from ourselves. See, in, in ourselves, we, we have no basis. I have no basis to claim to be a son of God. God is universal creator, and, and he is king over all creation. And he, he's a universal king. But Jesus didn't teach that God was a universal father. He, he was a father, a father to Christ. And through Christ, we can receive adoption into that family. So, so just like the kids that I've been talking about, the situations that we are being adopted out of, it doesn't hold any weight, City Light U, into our new identities. It doesn't matter how messy of a family or situation that you came from. None, none of that matters. Paul says that if your faith is in Christ, you are an adopted child of God, not because of your righteousness or your character, but solely because of God's righteousness and God's character. This, this new identity, this new family that, that we have the opportunity to be a part of, it's unlike anything of this world. The love of the one that has adopted us, God, it's unlike any love that we could experience on this earth, and it's, it's unlike anything that we can even understand. So I want for us tonight to go through and take a look into the way that God loves his children. So that brings me to our first point for any note takers out there. And that first point is going to be God's love is unifying. God's love is unifying. And where, where this in the text is going to come from is from 
verse 26 to verse 28. So I think that the, the first thing we see in our text tonight is that God's love for us has the power to unify us as a people. We're, we're not only sons to God and children of God and daughters, but we're also each other's siblings through Christ and in Christ. If you guys want to track with me in verse 28, we, we get walked through many earthly distinctions that we still see today. And, and this reads, Paul, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So while this might look slightly different now in our lives, the same things hold true. The same, the same exact distinctions that Paul talks about are still very real. Ones of race, social class, and gender, they're still active in our day-to-day lives. These are still things that are divisive to the world. They're divisive between us as brothers and sisters, and they are divisive in the church. At the time this letter was being written, the churches in Galatia were being led astray by these people called Judaizers who were trying to convince the Greeks that they must follow rules that were above what was required of them in order to receive grace and love from God. Basically, they were taking something that was good, what, what Christ came down and did for us, and they were putting restrictions on it. They, they were saying that, no, it, it doesn't just require faith to be a child of God. It requires more. It requires certain acts, certain dietary restrictions, you name it. They, they were adding on to the gospel. But I think, City Light like U, Paul's going to say that that's not true. It, it is completely dependent on what Christ has done for us on our behalf in order to have salvation, in order to be adopted into the family. If your faith is in Christ, you are counted blameless and righteous on God's behalf before God. Your earthly identity, it still exists, and your earthly identity is still very real. I, Paul, Paul is not saying here that you no longer have a race, you no longer have a social class, you no longer have a gender. Those things are all real, but what he is saying is that to God, none, none of those things matter. What is being taught here is that it, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. If you have the right job or what your gender is, if you're male or female, none, none of those things matter. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church, if you know a lot about who God is, if you, if you know everything about him, if you've been reading your Bible since day one, if, if you're, you've been to church every Sunday since you can remember, none, none of that matters. On the other hand, it doesn't matter if you grew up knowing nothing about God. If you've been constantly rebelling, living a reckless life, and you're a diligent rule breaker, none of that matters either. And actually, I think Paul is saying that while we might be able to see lots of differences between these two kinds of people, the, the rule breaker and the rule follower, Paul's going to say there's actually more in common with these people than, than we know. Both of these people, at the end of the day, City Light you, they're imperfect. They're, they're in need of a Savior just as much as you and I are. And it can be easy to see one of the person's imperfections more. It can be easier for us to spot that out. It can be easier for me to notice that. But at the end of the day, those imperfections are in both people's hearts. And they are in desperate need of a Savior. They're in need of someone who could live the perfect life on their behalf that they, that they never could. 
So for me, these couple verses, they really hit home for my story and for just, just my life. So for, for those of you who don't know me very well, which is probably a lot of you, I became a believer about two years ago. And to give you a little idea about where I was at, the first time someone invited me to City Light U, I had literally like no idea what City Light was at all. So I literally like, I agreed to go because when you get invited to something, it's college, I, I wanted to meet people. So I was like, oh yeah, City Light, like that sounds cool. But I literally, I remember going back to my dorm room and thinking I had to buy some candles or something because we're gonna march around the city with some lights. I, I was freaking out. It, like, I just want to say, like, praise God that I wasn't right because that would be pretty weird. And luckily, I, I did some research. I found out online that no, a city like you, on the contrary, it's a place where people can come together to know Jesus, to worship Jesus. And I knew nothing about who he was, but the simple fact someone invited me made all the difference. I, I didn't have a desire to know God, but God put that on my heart, and he drew me in. And just the fact someone invited me in made me come. But if I can be super real with everyone about where I was at in my life, it, it was a mess. It was what I would call a hashtag certified hot mess. It was, it was terrible. It, <laughs> I knew that everything I was doing was wrong. I, I knew nothing about God. I, I had no desire to know anything about God. Growing up, I wasn't born into the quote-unquote right family. Not, not that that's a thing. I, I just, I knew nothing about who God was, and I was blatantly walking in sin. I was blatantly leading other people into sin. It, it was a mess. And I, I don't share this with you guys to embarrass myself in front of all of you, because that's just going to happen on its own. Give me a couple more minutes, I promise, and I, I don't share this with you guys to boast in my sin either, because if you want to get into that competition, I think my past would win. If you want to take an L, you can just talk to me afterwards, but I, I don't want to have to do that. But I, I do share this to boast in my God, to boast in our God, to boast in the God that we have who pursued me despite of my mess. It didn't matter to him what I was going through. It, it mattered, but before him, it made no difference. It made no difference. I was walking in the completely wrong direction, but God pursued me anyway, and it wouldn't have mattered if I was walking in the completely right direction, what, whatever that is, because the reality is I was in need of someone who could adopt me, someone who could come into my mess. So my coming to Christ, it had nothing to do with me or with who I was. But it, it had everything to do with who Christ is and what he has done for me. So what I believe Paul is trying to tell the Galatians is that they need to stop making the gospel about what they can do for Christ and to realize that it's solely based on what Christ has done for them. You see, the gospel is not just restricted for the good people. Trust me on that one. I know that. And, and that's what the Judaizers were teaching. 
It's actually, it's freely offered to anyone who places their faith in the good news that Christ lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again, defeating sin. Paul, Paul is telling the people that if their identity is in anything of this world, if it's in their race, if it's in their social status, if it's in their gender, they're, they're missing out on their real identity. Paul knows that, that all people have differences, and I just want to clarify, Paul isn't saying that we shouldn't celebrate some of our differences. Having, having cultural differences is great, and those are things we should celebrate. But what Paul is saying is that before God, no matter your race, no matter your status or your gender, we are all the same. We are the same in our need for salvation. We are the same in our inability to earn or deserve it, and we're, we are the same and that God offers it to us in Christ. So, now we are going to transition into our second point, which will be God's love is promise. And this is going to come from verses 29 through verse 5 in chapter 4, if you want to track with me there. In this section... Paul outlines the promises that God has for his adopted children. And, and he shows that God is faithful to all of these promises. In verse 29, it reads, and, and Paul writes that, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So God promised to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his offspring. That's the promise that he made, and the fulfillment of this promise was Christ. Through Christ, all nations have been blessed with the free gift of forgiveness and salvation to anyone who believes in him and what he's done. All of the promises that God made to Abraham were fulfilled or will be fulfilled in Jesus. And, and Paul continues into chapter 4 with an analogy describing what it means to be an heir to a promise. If you want to follow with me there, this is verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. He writes, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So essentially, what Paul is doing here is, is this is an illustration of our standing before God as, as a child of God. Paul is describing a child who is an heir to a large estate. And through, through doing a little bit of research, I guess that an heir gaining over an estate, I guess that was a commonly understood and defined process in the time. But if I'm being real, I have no idea what being an heir means today or, or what that process looks like. So I looked that up. And so shout out to Google for that one. I have a quick legal definition for all of you, and I'm going to read this twice, because it, it's, sort of, it's sort of a big one, so if you would track with me here, it, it says, an heir is a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another upon the time stated by that person or upon that person's death. An heir is a person legally entitled to the property or rank 
of another upon the time stated by that person or upon that person's death. So here in these verses, I think Paul is trying to convey multiple things. In a sense, if you've believed in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then, then we are heirs according to the promise that God made to Abraham to bless all nations. The, providence, the, the, the promise and the blessing of forgiveness and salvation to anyone believes in Christ, it, it is not restricted to a certain group of people. But God made it clear that it is for all nations, it is for all people, and to anyone who believes. So then, if, if we are all heirs to the promise of salvation through God and, and, and through Christ, in this analogy, we can only receive what is legally entitled to us until the date set by our Father. And for us, what I think Paul is saying here is that that means in order to have a righteous standing before God, we must first put our faith in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. We must die to ourselves and become a new creation in Christ. The date set by the Father in this analogy, it's Christ coming down and it's Christ taking on the cross for our sins. Paul lays this out for us in verses 4 and 5 where he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What Paul is saying is that before anyone has put their faith in this, they have no access to their inheritance as an heir. They have not reached the date set by their father in this analogy. The inheritance, the promise of salvation and forgiveness of sins, it is available to anyone and everyone, but only to those who believe. Through this, through this belief, we can take on the, the rank of Christ before God because of Christ's death on the cross where he took on all of our sins. So what does this rank mean? I, I know I mentioned that in the definition, sort of, but I, I struggled with understanding this a bit myself, and it's something I wrestled through for a while. But essentially, what Paul is saying, it means that, that you are righteous and blameless before God if you have placed your faith in him. Second Corinthians 5.21, it reads, For our sake, he, God, made, made him to be sin who knew no sin, Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this, this rank, city like you, that you have this position as a son or a daughter of God, if you place your faith in him, this means that our standing before God is completely clean, and it's completely blameless and righteous. That is going to take us into our last point, which is God's love is personal. God's love is personal. So this point is going to come from our last two verses. And yeah, let, let's just dive into them now. So if you want to follow with me there, they read, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
and if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, our, our God, our God is not a distant God. He didn't, he didn't just create us and decide to stand back and to be far away. He sent his son to us on our behalf so that we could no longer be slaves to the law, but we could be his children who he greatly desires to have a relationship with. So, City Light, can, can we just take a second to realize how amazing this news is? God could have just saved us from our sins, but he didn't, he didn't have to adopt us as his children. He didn't have to do that. He could have just came down and, and cleaned up our mess for us, but, but he decided to not only do that, but to have us be a part of his family in a, in a very personal and intimate way. Our God, our God is so loving that he, he put on flesh, he became fully man, and he lived and he dwelled with us. But he didn't just stop there. When, when Christ ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, and for anyone who believes in Christ, that Spirit now lives and dwells within them. The only thing that could be more personal than our God coming down and living with us is him sending his spirit to come down and live in us. It doesn't get any more personal than that. His spirit is in us for anyone who believes. So in Romans 8, that there's a verse there, Romans 8.15, and you guys don't, don't have to go there. I, I'll read it for you. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this verse, it, it nearly parallels the two verses that we have here in our reading tonight. And when I was going through this, I, I, I was trying to figure out why, why did Paul use this consistent language? Why did he say, Abba, Father, instead of just Father? it would have been really easy for him just to write down Father. I believe that he is using this language here to show us the personal relationship that we have with God through his Son and through his Spirit. In one of the most intimate prayers that Jesus ever prayed that we have documented, he used the same exact language. Leading up to the crucifixion, this is what Jesus prayed. He, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Th this is one of the most personal prayers that, that has ever been prayed, that, that we have documented of Christ that, that he's ever prayed. This is leading up to his death, where he, he knows what God's will for him is. He, he knows that he must take on the cross. And he knows he needs to be obedient to that. And in this moment, in this desperate moment, he's calling out to God. And he doesn't just say, Father. He says, Abba, Father. And essentially, I, I had to look this up. I, I don't know Aramaic, and it, it's an Aramaic word. So, um, Abba is a word for Father, but it, it has a little bit more meaning than that. Essentially, it means, Dear Father. It, it, has a sense of intimacy with it. In, in Christ, we have the same ability to come to God just as Christ did. 
we can boldly come before God and cry out, Father, the same exact way that Christ did in that prayer. There, there's no separation between us and God because through Christ, we are blameless and we are righteous. We, we are no longer slaves to the law, but we are adopted sons of God who God has sent his spirit into our hearts. So to, to the people in Galatia, and, and to me, and to you, and, and to everyone here, this should be a mind-blowing reality. This, this is amazing news. Before Christ came, and before God sent his spirit, it was not a simple thing to be able to be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of his holiness. That was not something, first of all, it wasn't simple, but also, it was very dangerous. Anything that was not perfectly clean, perfectly spotless, would essentially be destroyed. But for us, what this means through Christ, if you've been covered by his blood, we, we are empowered to come before God, not, not just as, as people, not just as any random person, but as his child. He is our father. God didn't stand back and say that, that you all have to, to clean yourselves up before you come to me and have a relationship with me. He didn't say that at all. He broke right into our stories, into our mess, where we were at, and he cleaned it up for us. He loved us so much that, that he put on flesh and lived perfectly without sin so that we could not only just have the opportunity to know him, but we could also have the opportunity to be his children. So, City Light U, I, I think at times... I really struggle with being able to see God as my father. It, it makes sense to me when I, when I look around the world, when I, when I go outside, that, that he is a universal creator and that he's created all things. That, that sort of clicks with me. And, and it makes sense that he's ruler of all things. I, I know he's powerful. I know he's strong. I, I know what he can do. But what I do struggle with is seeing him as someone who loves me personally. Who, who loves me deeply and intimately. If I have a bad day, if I, if I don't spend time in prayer, if I don't do, do whatever you name it, whatever rule I made up in my head brings me closer to God, I feel like his love for me is less. But from going through this text, it's very clear that I, I discovered that that could not be farther from the truth. The reality is, God's love for me, it has nothing to do with what I have done or what I can do on his behalf. But it has everything to do with what he has done and what has been set in stone through his work through Christ. So, like the families adopting on Adoption Day, God's love for his adopted children, it isn't changed by how messy of a situation that you have came from or you are coming from. Just like the families, God does not want for his adopted children to get their life back together in order to have a relationship with them. He doesn't look to his children and ask them what they can do for him to earn his love. He does the exact opposite. He gives and he loves them generously out of his own character. And this work that God did on our behalf in order to make that possible, 
it wasn't cheap and it wasn't small. If, if any of you are familiar with the process of adoption, it is quite the process. Adopting families must wait countless weeks, fill out a plethora of forms and paperwork, and have a righteous and clean record in order to even be considered for adoption. They don't just hand kids out. Our God, in the same way, he, he labored for us in a way that was way greater than what any parents wanting to adopt could. His record wasn't just sort of clean or sort of righteous. His record and his standing was perfectly clean and perfectly righteous. And the work that it required wasn't just some paperwork. It was him sending his one and only son on our behalf. So to my friends in the room tonight who have not placed their faith in this good news, who, who haven't placed their faith in Christ, I want you to know that this great news, this adoption, it, it is available to anyone who believes. There is absolutely no restriction to who can join this family of God. Literally none. And, and if you want to believe that, you can look no farther than me. That there, there, there is no characteristic about you that can take you out of the reach of God's love. So, yeah, maybe your story is like mine. Maybe you had a friend invite you tonight, but you, you, you came in knowing nothing about God. You, you had no idea who he was or, or what he does and, or, or anything about his character. Maybe you were thinking that no one in this room could love you, let alone a perfect and righteous God. And I just want you to know that I've been in your shoes, and everything that you are believing, if, if, if that's you, it couldn't be farther from the truth. Here's why. Being a child of God has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done or what you will do, but has everything to do with what Christ has done for you, what he's already done for you. So I just want to ask you, would you place your faith in him if, if he's calling you to? This, this isn't just for the good people or what, whatever that means. We're, we're all in desperate need of a Savior. We're all the same, and we all come to the cross in the same exact position, which is on our knees, just begging for forgiveness. On the contrary, though, if, if you're someone in the room whose faith is in Christ, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that you are not just someone that God thinks about occasionally. You, you aren't just someone who God sort of knows. You have the standing of God's child through Christ. I think Paul is telling us that we, we, are, we are no longer slaves to the law. We, we are sons, and, and I just want to ask you and, and myself this question, where aren't we living out of this identity? If, if we're children of God, then we should be able to boldly live out our lives through that. So I just, I, I would ask you that, that when we pray to close out, would, would you just press into God and, and, and to ask him that? Where, where might I not be living out of my freeing identity as a child of God? But more, more than any of that, I just want you to be encouraged. Your, your earthly identity it doesn't matter. Your eternal identity as a child of God has been forever secured in Christ already. 
Christ secured that identity for you in him, and if you place your faith in him, there is absolutely no way that you can escape that. It, it, it is set in stone. So Paul writing this is really just encouraging anyone and everyone who has placed their faith to, to live out their true identity as a son and as a daughter and, and to no longer be a slave. So I just want to invite the band to come back up. I'm, I'm going to pray for us quickly, and let's just worship and praise our gracious, loving God who, who loves us and does, did all this on our behalf. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the work that you did on our behalf. You sent your one and only Son on our behalf, not just to clean up our sin, not just to get rid of our mess, but to invite us into your family. So for, for the people in the room who haven't placed their faith in that truth, I pray that you would overwhelm them, that you would overwhelm their spirit with that great news. Let them know that you desire to love them above anything else. To, to the people in the room who have placed their faith, I, I just pray that you would overwhelm them with a feeling of security and, and of love and just of intimate love that you have for them. They are your children. So just thank you for all you've done, Lord God. We pray all of these things in your beautiful name. Amen.